Hello, Etsy 355 and 356. This podcast is going to talk about the demonstrations for assignment two and give my general feedback for everybody. You each have individual feedback that was emailed to you and you will have feedback from your peers and I encourage you to use that in your reflection. You can also reference this podcast as you're using, as you're writing your reflection, if you feel that any of these will be beneficial to you. I want to thank everyone for all of their demonstrations and useful questions that they asked. I think we all learned a lot from each other and appreciated that some students drew on the presentations of others. The first thing I want to bring up um, is around the is around terms and terms for groups of people. A lot of students used the phrase "you guys," and this is pretty common and it's it's quite colloquial. Um, but the issue with the phrase you guys is that it is cisgender and it's not necessarily inclusive as some other terms. So instead of using the phrase you guys, I suggest using things like you all or science 10 or folks or team. Uh, any of those phrases would be a good replacement. I think that we all definitely learned about the density and egg floating demonstration. And I appreciated that there was a lot of different methods and approaches to this. One thing I did want to highlight for everyone is that the, the demonstrations that tended to work a little bit better were those that had pre-saturated the salt water. And that's because saturating any solution can take a very long time. You have to heat up the water or whatever um, solvent you're using and then add, um, add salt and add a little bit more salt and stir and add a little bit more salt and stir until it's completely saturated and that can take quite a while. Uh, so I would suggest doing it before and labeling it as salt water. Another thing I want to point out is that we did ask a lot of yes or no questions. Many of you started out asking questions very effectively and they were the questions in your lesson plan. But as your demonstration went on, some students went to back to the yes no questions can anyone tell me does anyone know instead of asking the specific question of what will happen or what is this fact you would ask does anyone know this fact and and that can be problematic because as we discussed it is a yes no question Something else we need to discuss a bit is how to close lessons. Many people finish with, and I'm done, or that's it, because you weren't quite uh, sure, or um, the demonstration didn't necessarily have a clear closing. So something I would suggest is making sure that you have a clear closing point, that you have a question that you're going to finish on, or a summary point if you're more comfortable finishing uh, instead of having your students finish and being prepared to close any lesson effectively. Now, some questions that were posed were outside of a student's knowledge in a real situation. For example, there was a few times where people would ask a question that relied on knowledge students would be learning in that topic, so they wouldn't necessarily know it. We, as a class, do know this because we are educated science teachers. Be aware of the levels of questioning that you're asking and that what you are asking of students is something that they can respond to. They might not be able to use the same terms or science language that we would, but they 
can they respond to what you're asking them? For example, in the egg floating demonstration, many people would ask, will the egg float or sink? That's a great way to approach it. Instead of asking students, is the egg less dense or more dense than the water, if you haven't taught the term density yet. Another point I want to make here is that um, we did a good job asking questions and many of you were practicing wake time and enjoying that silence, but we need to practice the reciprocal wait time. So when a student asks a question or responds to you, I really encourage you not to immediately jump in and respond back to that student. Take a minute and think about what they said. There were a few times when people would respond very quickly and what they were responding to is what they expected to hear, not necessarily what the student said. By taking a minute and pausing, you have some time to process what that student has responded or asked. On a similar note, we have discussed how to respond to students' responses. And there were a few times where people would ask a question and it was a great question and someone would offer up a prediction that was correct, but instead of facilitating more questions, the response would be something like perfect or yes, that's right or good job. After which it was pretty common that we would turn around and we would say, well, what do, what do other people predict? And at that point, the conversation's already been shut down because students know that the correct answer has been shared, so they don't need to hypothesize any further. Going back to questions, uh, another thing I want to encourage people to think about is what are your reasons for asking a question? We discussed purposeful questioning and moving discussion forward and pulling in scientific inquiry by asking good questions. A lot of questions that were asked were what I could call Googleable responses. They were either knowledge that we expected the students to re regurgitate or reproduce, or they were something that students could look up. That's useful information, but they're not the most productive questions. They're okay to have in your lesson plan, and I would encourage you not to get rid of all of them, but I do think that those should be the minority of your questions. I would encourage you to focus your questions on the deep thinking aspects, things like making predictions, applying what students know, um, taking knowledge that they have and synthesizing it to move into something new. These are more purposeful questions and they're asking students to think scientifically as opposed to remembering knowledge and facts, which is also an important skill, but not necessarily what we want to emphasize. We saw a few demonstrations that didn't work and that is the nature of teaching in science that happens. Uh, so something I wanted you all to consider is what do you do if your demonstration doesn't work? This will come with time because you'll practice demonstrations and they won't work and they'll work and then they won't work. But have a thorough enough understanding of that demonstration to explain why it might not have worked. For example, if you watched the lesson on uh, the whoosh tube in the lab safety week, uh, the whoosh tube is something that is 
all the students love it's a big jet engine it's great fun um you know if you if done safely but if you try to repeat it immediately it will not work because the carbon dioxide is heavier than the oxygen so the carbon dioxide can't leave the bottle you have to actually turn the bottle upside down for um I, I usually leave it a couple of hours before you can do it again because the the fire can't burn inside the whoosh tube. Now, um, in my very first year of teaching, I did try to do the whoosh tube back to back and of course it didn't work. And knowing that explanation would have certainly helped me. So make sure, especially at this point while you're developing one lesson at a time that you research this content enough that you can explain why something didn't happen. Also, students ask questions that you may not expect. Having a, a thorough understanding as possible without spending far too much time reviewing content uh, will be very important skill for you to have in your first year of teaching. You should have an understanding of any demonstration you're doing and the principles of it if you do not know an answer, I suggest uh, going back to students with something like, I am unsure of that answer right now, but I will get back to you and go away and look it up. We're going to discuss vulnerability in a few weeks, and this will be a topic that we talk about what happens if you don't know the answer. My last point that I wanted to make is something on color. Uh, I, I noticed that we're using lots of different colors and fun colors for students to to see things better. For example, we had a lot of water layering and different, different colors in our density experiments, which is great. Something I want you to consider is, uh, if I use these colors, will I be disadvantaging anyone? For example, using a red marker on a whiteboard can be difficult for students who have um, color deficiencies. It can be very difficult for them to see that marker. The same thing with the light green marker can be very difficult for students. Uh, so either being aware of your student's population and knowing whether or not that is an issue for them or uh, choosing colors that will be easy for anyone to be able to see. A final point I wanted to make is I really appreciated the thorough application of PEOE and the 5E method, they really help frame your um, lessons and they were really helpful when reviewing your lesson plans as well. If you have any questions, please contact me. I wanna thank you again one more time for sharing all of your demonstrations. If you really liked any of your peers' demonstrations, I encourage you to reach out to them, ask if they can share what even what it was called so that you can look it up. Having all of these demonstrations in your back pocket can make your life a lot easier when you head out into the teaching world. Thank you again and have a fantastic break.